right, well, welcome to H2O. It is really good to be together today. Uh, my name is Brian Wiles, one of the pastors here. If I haven't got a chance to meet you, and uh, as we talked about at the beginning of the service, we are launching into a new series that we're calling Love Is. We're launching into that series at H2O Akron as well. I want to welcome you guys as you're joining us via video, and it's really good to be together as we're jumping into this series. You know, love is kind of in the air, right? It's the week of, of Valentine's Day, and uh, I, I think that that's something that a lot of us think about, and we've been working through uh, the book of 1 Corinthians, and uh, it's kind of cool how it lines up that as we're coming into this week, uh, we are heading into 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Now, if you know much uh, about the Bible, if you've, you've been to a, a wedding anytime within the last couple of years, you might have heard uh, this section read because it's a section that talks a lot about love. It's a section that we read oftentimes at weddings. And the interesting thing uh, about this section is we're going to kind of pull out from it what exactly it is meant to say to us about the topic of love. But when we think about love, many of us, you know, we, we think about romantic love, don't we? You know, especially around this time of year, you know, when we think about that word love, we think about relationships and you know we play that bumper video with all these different famous love stories I was thinking about you know this week and and it was actually uh, 14 years ago this week that I proposed to my wife okay isn't that sweet yeah and so uh, you know I, I gotta tell you the story okay we uh, my wife and I we, we met in this church actually and uh, we, we dated for about 10 months and hit this point where you know we both knew that, that the next step for us was to get engaged and to get married we felt peace about that and uh, I, I talked to her family and, and wanted to move forward with that and so we, we, I, I made this kind of this this plan and uh, the, one of the things about me if you don't know me much is I would consider myself one of the most least romantic people that you would ever meet okay and so I knew that if I wanted to like woo my wife if I wanted to kind of blow her off the feet or her feet the way that I was hoping to that I needed to enlist some help Okay, so I, I got all my wife's best friends together, and I said, girls, I need your help. You know, I want this to go well. And so they helped me put together this plan. So it was actually a, a, a weekend where we had just come off of our men's retreat, just like uh, we had recently here at H2O. And uh, we, it was much smaller back then. There was 30 or 40 guys. We rented out this, this place uh, about an hour from here. And that was actually a place where my, my wife and I, we had our first conversation. We weren't even dating yet, but we had another leaders retreat there. And so I was like, this is kind of a meaningful place in our relationship. So uh, we had our men's retreat there, and after the men's retreat, all the guys left, but I rented it a little bit longer, and, and, and so all of our friends came down and helped me deck this place out. They got the smell out of there. You know, it was amazing whenever you have all the guys together, how bad it can smell. They got the smell. They, they sprayed the Febreze and everything, and uh, we set up the room, and, you know, they put all these candles all over the place. We got a picture of it coming up here soon. Um, you know, they, they put roses. Isn't that sweet? They, they put roses all over the place, and uh, Sarah, I, I kind of told a white lie. I told her, hey, come down and meet me at this place. We're going to go out to, uh, to, to eat with a, a friend of ours and get dressed up. It's going to be fun. So she drove down to the place by herself, and uh, she, she started, you know, she pulled up, and she realized there's no other cars there. She's like, oh, something's weird. And so she walked into the door, and I got down on one knee, and I said, Sarah, I love you. I want to spend the rest of my life with you. Will you marry me, you know? And then we had a slow dance, you know, and it was just like this. I, I did another thing that I've never done since, and I probably never will do. I never did before. Is I wrote her a song, and I sang the song on the guitar. It's kind of embarrassing, but uh, it was probably horrible. 
But, you know, it meant something to her. And, and when we think about love, typically, we think of those types of stories, right? We think of romance. We think of, uh, of all these different types of things. Uh, that's what many of us think about. But today, as we come to 1 Corinthians chapter 13, we're going to find out that love is actually way more than that. Of course, that is a part of love. And that's a beautiful part of love. But love is actually way more than that. And the big idea that I want to share with you together today and that we want to discover together today is that love is a lifestyle, not just an emotion. Okay? Love is a lifestyle, not just a feeling or an emotion, but it truly is a lifestyle. You think about our, our culture, you think about our world, we're infatuated with the idea of love, aren't we? You know, we say lots of different things around this word love. We say things like love has no labels. We say things and we write songs like all we need to do is love. We make claims that we need much more love in this world. But, but the problem is oftentimes we say that word and we really don't know what love is when we really get down to it. And, and we end up actually loving the idea of love but not knowing what true, real love is. And so it leads us to this chase after emotions. It leads us to this chase after love stories. It's why we love these types of movies. And again, there's nothing wrong with that, but it's an incomplete picture of what real love is. We love the idea of love, but we don't even know exactly what love is. Love, it's a lifestyle. It's not just an emotion, and we can get confused about that. I mean, even just think of our, our English language. We, we've talked about this before. English is such a broad language, you know. We use that word love in so many different contexts, and we say things like, I love my wife, and then we say things like, I love pizza, you know, and we use the same word to describe those. I love my kids, and I love the Cleveland Browns, or, or I love my church, and I love Netflix. You know, it's the same word, but, but we're talking about just totally different things. And the cool thing about the Bible is it's, it's written in Greek, if, if you don't know that. And, and Greek is actually a much more precise language. And so we have one word, love, that describes many different things. Greek actually has four different words that describe more specifically what real love is and gives different instances of what love can look like. And so I want to give you these four different words, and we're going to focus in on one of these Greek words that were talked about most often in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 uses, all right? So the first Greek word for love is phileo, phileo, and that's like this brotherly love, you know, that's where we get the, the, the word Philadelphia, phileo, it's the city of brotherly love, it's like friendship, it's companionship, it's support for one another, and that's of course a biblical thing, but that's the first word for, for the first word in Greek that, that we could translate as well as love. The second word in Greek is eros, and this is more of the romantic love. Even specifically, this is, is love that, that plays out in a, in a sexual relationship oftentimes. And this can be a beautiful thing. This can be a really good thing that can be expressed in a marriage between a, a husband and a wife, a man and a woman. Or this can play out in, in a sinful way, in, a, in, in sexual immorality. And so we have phileo, we have eros, and then we have storge. Storge is a word that, that, that denotes familia love, like the love that exists within a family, the love that exists between a, a parent and a child, the love that exists between a brother and a sister. That's the third word for love. And then the fourth word, which we're going to focus in on and talk about today, maybe you've heard it before, it's agape love. Agape love. And, and agape love is, is different than these other three words for love. Agape love denotes this unconditional, God-inspired, 
perfect love. Agape love is the pinnacle of love. It's what real love is. And so as a culture, when we're just seeking and we're loving the idea of love, sometimes we have these other words mixed in there. But what we're all really longing for deep down is this agape love that we are not capable of producing on our own. See, agape love is rooted in the gospel. Agape love is rooted in God. Agape love is rooted in the fact that, that God loves us so much and he set the example of what love is. And so in 1 John chapter 4 where we're told God is love, that word is God is agape. And so when we think about God, we can think about this word and we can think about love. In John 3:16, it's one of the most famous verses in all the Bible for God so loved the world, for God so agape the world that he sent his one and only son so that whoever believes in him shouldn't perish but have everlasting life. It's that word, agape. It's real love. And it's not just love that, that God projects onto us, but it's also love that God empowers us to live out in a lifestyle of love. This is the type of love that we're going to talk about today. And, and our hope is that we wouldn't leave here just kind of being in, in love with the idea of love, but we would leave here feeling and understanding and owning a little bit more what it looks like to live a lifestyle of love. So you can open up your Bibles to uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 13 if you have them. With us today, you can pull it up in our H2O apps as well if you want to follow along. And we're going to get through the first seven verses of this chapter as we work through it over the next three weeks. It says this, 1 Corinthians 13, verse 1. It says, If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and I can fathom all mysteries and knowledge and I have faith that can move mountains but I don't have love, I'm nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give my body over to hardship that I may boast but I do not have love, I gain nothing. And I want to stop right there and we're going to pull out three different points of application from this passage. And the first thing we can learn from those first three verses is this, that love is primary. Okay, love is primary. See, all the Bible has to be read in context. 1 Corinthians 13 isn't just supposed to stand alone. It's written right after 1 Corinthians chapter 12, which we just got done talking about. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 is talking about all these amazing spiritual gifts that God gives to the church. And one of those spiritual gifts is the ability to speak in tongues. And what that means is that God, uh, in, in certain circumstances, might empower people to speak a language that they don't even know for the sake of the gospel advancing. And so Paul says, hey, you may know things. He, he also gives us the gift of prophecy, which is just like knowledge or wisdom. Paul says, you may know things. You may be able to speak in tongues. You may have these amazing spiritual gifts that just blow people away. But listen. If they are not bathed in love, they're nothing because love is primary. Paul says, you can know it all. You can know everything there is to know about nuclear science or medicine or philosophy or psychology or any other ology that might be out there. You can have all this knowledge, but if it's not bathed in love, if it, love isn't primary, it's wasteless. It's useless. It's nothing. And it kind of reminds us a little bit earlier in the book of 1 Corinthians where Paul says this phrase that I think is really telling. He says, knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. And so he's saying, if you don't use the gifts that God has given you in love, 
then you're not going anywhere with them. And I, and I love the imagery that Paul uses there. You know, it, it's so interesting because as he talks about it, he says, again, you know, all these things, they're, they're like a, a gong or a clanging symbol. And, and I think Paul gives us this picture. I actually brought a symbol along with me here today. Look at this. Okay, my parents, Grandma and Grandpa, got my five-year-old a drum set for Christmas. Thank you, Grandma and Grandpa. All right? If your grandparents here, you know, I don't know if that's really the And so, uh, you know, Paul says, I couldn't get my hands on a gong, but I could get my hands on a cymbal, okay? And, and, and it's interesting because, of course, my five-year-old, he's just down there in our basement. It's kind of a confined area, and he's just banging on this thing. And you want to talk about irritating. I mean, I love that he's learning music, and I love that he's growing, but I get the imagery that Paul's using here. You know, as he says, if it's not bathed in love, it's just... It's like this, you know, and, and there's only so much that you can take of that, and, and it's like you, you, get, you get what's happening, there's, 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 there's sound, you know, but it's a frustrating sound, and, and I think that, that the analogy is, is very clear. Sometimes the things that we say, sometimes the way that we act, sometimes the words that we choose, sometimes the way that we communicate with other people, man, it's a little bit abrasive, you know? It's a little bit frustrating. Sometimes the rants that we go on on social media, sometimes the, the way that we handle ourselves, it can just simply be like my five-year-old, just pounding away on the cymbals in the basement. And you can only take so much of it before you say, wow, that's just hard to handle. That's really hard to handle. And we live in a world, and we live in a culture right now that's infatuated with being right. And, and we love to be outraged at times. You know, we love to be offended at times. And, and, and it's hard. I was reading an article recently that was talking about have we even lost the ability to have a civil debate in this country. And the reason why is because oftentimes our debate is not clothed in love because love isn't primary with us. And so our debates just sound like this, pounding away on the symbols without ever getting anywhere. Paul says love has to be primary. It has to be. If you ever want to make any leadway with people in a conversation, if you want to ever show people how much God loves them, it has to be bathed in love. The, the Bible in Ephesians, it talks about speaking the truth in love. This is one of the things that I love about the Christian faith because it has such a, a beautiful picture of how we can communicate with one another. Because, of course, we value truth, and that is so important. And we have to cling to truth because, because where there's truth, there's freedom. But also, if we only have truth and it's not expressed in love, it just sounds like this. And we're just banging on a symbol right in people's face. And we're not making any headway. See, Paul tells us about the, prim the, 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 the premacy of love. He says, love is more important than even spiritual gifts. Love is more important than knowledge. Love is more important than faith. Love is more important than generosity. Love is more important than even being right. You can't have one without the other if you want to make an impact. Love has to be our top priority. And let's move on. Let's jump back in. This is the part that, that many of us may remember from weddings. It says this. It says, love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It's not self-seeking. It's not easily angered. And listen to this. It keeps no record of wrongs. 
It keeps no record of wrong. See, secondly, I would propose to us today that, that love is painful. Love can be painful at times. Have you ever noticed how easy it is to talk about love, to say that we want to love, to sing songs about love, but how hard it is to actually love, to, to live a lifestyle of love? You see, living out love can actually be a painful thing because it takes effort on our part. It takes discipline on our part. Being patient is something that we have to actually be intentional about, and that can be painful. You know, pushing down our pride is an act of discipline that can be painful at times. To, to watch our temper and control our temper, it can be painful at times. And man, no record of wrongs? Wow. The potential to be wrong and not hold on to that, that can be a hard thing. That can be a painful thing. Now, I like to consider myself a pretty easy person to get along with. Um, that's, you know, one of the things that, that I think is pretty accurate about myself. And so I, I rarely have people that, that, that I butt heads with. I rarely have enemies, I guess, so to speak. Um, but, but, but a few years back, five, six years ago, I don't even know exactly how long ago, uh, there was a particular situation in our church where there was a guy coming around, and, and, uh, and, and him and some other people were butting heads in our church. And eventually, somehow, um, he left our church in not a, a happy spot. You know, he was, he was upset with some people in our church. He was upset with me. And I honestly don't even know know the details of it. I don't even know why uh, completely. We tried to work it out, and we just couldn't. That's one of those rare situations that doesn't happen very often, um, but, but you know, that, that, that is something that happens sometimes within a church, and so um, a, a few years after that, that situation, I was just walking downtown with my kids. Me and my kids are, are walking downtown, and, I, and we see this guy, and my kids knew this guy and everything. He was involved with us, and, uh, and I wanted to kind of go out of my way to say hi, make sure he knew that there wasn't any, you know, weird feelings on my part or anything like that and so I, I walked up to him and I just said hey how's it going you know and tried to just kind of make some small talk and, and he looked right at me and he looked right at my kids and he just walked right through us as we were right there and and I have to be honest like my first reaction was to be angry you know, my first reaction was to, to be a little bit upset, you know, um, and, and, and my kids, they were like, what, what, what just happened, you know, because of course they didn't know about the situation, they were like, that was just really weird, you know, they were just confused, and I was tempted to lie to them, you know, I was tempted to say, oh, he probably didn't hear us, but they're smart, you know, they, they know what's going on, so I'm like, I'm going to just disciple them, because this is life, right, we have these situations, I said, honestly, I don't think he's, he's very happy with us, I don't even know why, and, uh, and, and I said, you know what? I got to be honest, I'm tempted to be a little bit angry right now because I don't think that was necessarily fair. But you know what we need to do? We need to just pray for, for, for that guy. We just take a moment and pray for him because he's obviously kept a record of some type of wrong that he's felt. And it's led him so much to, to be at a place where he's bitter and can't even just say hi. And so we stopped in that moment and, and we just prayed for this guy. And, and I think about that story and, you know, those types of things happen in life. But I think about all of us who are here, you know, and I think many of us, we can have that type of attitude in our heart to other people. And maybe we'd say, well, I'd never do that. I'd never just like blow somebody off and intentionally be rude to somebody. But maybe that's what's going on in our hearts oftentimes. 
You know, maybe you walk into a room and you see somebody who said something about you or hurt you in some type of way or you felt like you've been wronged by them, and what do you do? Initially, your thought is, ah, there's that person. I'm going to give them the cold shoulder or there's that person in, in, in our hearts. Maybe outwardly we're not even showing it, but in our hearts we have this record of wrongs that's been done to us. It's kind of like we're just adding to that record more and more and more. And that can lead us to a place of bitterness. That can lead us to a place of brokenness. But listen, love keeps no record of wrongs. Love pushes down pride. It pushes down our, our, our desire to fight back and punch back and be angry and be upset and says, no, forgive. Love keeps no record of wrong. And when we actually live that way, it's amazing the freedom that we get to experience. It's amazing when we don't keep a record of wrongs, the, the type of uh, freedom that we can walk in. You know, listen, it's, it's, you know, the week of Valentine's Day as we talked about, and I can just give you some, some free relationship advice because this section isn't talking about husbands and wives or boyfriends and girlfriends, but I guarantee you it applies to husbands and wives and boyfriends and girlfriends because one of the quickest ways to destroy a relationship, to destroy a marriage, to destroy an engagement is start to just keep a checklist of everything that's been done wrong, right? Those of us who are married for any amount of time know they can be tempting to do that. Wow. You know, they did this, they said that. I, I give them a back rub, and they didn't give me a back rub back, you know. I, I, I deserve a little bit more. And, of course, we're not writing down a list. We're not keeping a record. But sometimes we're tempted to do it in our heads and in our minds. And it can and it will destroy a relationship. It can and it will destroy a marriage. It can and it will destroy a friendship. It can and it will tear a family apart. Love has no room for that. Love has no room at all. That's why when you say your wedding vows, you know, the, the vows talk about in good times and in bad because there will be painful times in any type of relationship. If you are in any type of meaningful relationship with somebody, a roommate relationship, a marriage, anything in between, family, there will be pain because people make mistakes. People wrong others. It's part of the human condition agape love not love that we can do on our own strength agape love says I'm not going to keep a record of that I'm going to forgive I'm not going to write it down in my head I'm going to forgive why? because it's based in the gospel and that's what God does for us it doesn't mean being doormats it doesn't mean putting yourself in terrible situations but it does mean saying I'm going to love like God loved me. Love, it can be painful, but man, it's beautiful when we're able to not keep a record of wrongs. Let's close up with this last verse, verse 7. It says this, Love does not delight in evil, but it rejoices with the truth. It always protects, it always trusts, it always hopes, and it always perseveres. See, third and finally, love is persistent. Love is persistent. Listen to this, and we know this, but it's so good to be reminded of. We can't determine how people will respond to our love. You can't determine that. You can't control another person's response. We can't determine how people will respond to our love, but we can make a decision to be persistent in our own love. 
in our own attitude and our own desire to pour out the love of God onto other people. We can't determine how other people will respond, but we can determine how we act and whether we choose to live a lifestyle of love or not. Those of you who are parents, you, you know that, that this is a, a situation that's so important to all of us. You know, you want your kids to know that you love them. You know, there's like no greater thing that's more important than that, than to, to have your kids know that you love them. And, and, and so a lot of times I'll be, you know, hanging out with my kids, and, and I'll, I'll just ask them the question. I know what they're going to say, but I'll ask them the question, do, do, do you think that I love you? You know, do you think that I love you? And they'll always say, yes, Dad, you know. I say, like, well, how do you know that I love you? I say the same thing every time. You always tell me that, Dad. You always tell me that you love me, you know? But there's an, a, a reason for that. It's not like I just like hearing myself say it over and over again. It's because I'm persistent with my kids. Because I know there will come a day when at some point they will be tempted to doubt whether they're truly loved or not. We all have that day. And I know my kids will hit that day if they haven't already many different times. And so I need to be persistent in what I say to them. Sarah needs to be persistent in what she says to them and how we live out our love for them. It needs to be continual. It's not something that we just say one time and like, well, they got it, you know. Hey, you should know that. I told you that. Remember, you're three. You should be old enough to remember that. No, we are persistent in, in, in communicating and displaying our love for our kids because that's what parents do. That's what parents should do anyhow. And God is that same way with us. God is persistent in pursuing us. Agape love is this, the, this word that we talk about always. There's always hope. The, 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 there's always trust, and it always perseveres. Continually persisting and making sure that we're known that God is pursuing us. And if you're here today, I don't care where you are. I don't care where you've been. I don't know what you've been through. But I do know this. I know that God is pursuing you. I know that you're not here by accident. I know that God is working in your heart and in your life. This is what the, the good news of the gospel is all about. That God, seeing us in our brokenness, seeing us in our, in, our, in our sin, God seeing us separated from him as all of us as humans are, he sent his son Jesus to die for us. You see, love, as we talked about, is not just an emotion, it's a lifestyle, it's an action. And so God didn't just, you know, let us have the feeling of love, God took action. And he sent his son Jesus to this earth to come and to die on the cross for us. And he raised again, proving that he, in fact, was the Son of God. Proving that he, in fact, is the, 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 the God that the Bible talks about that loves us and cares for us. God is persistent in pursuing us. This is the gospel. And so maybe we're here today, and God's been pursuing us, but we've been saying, I'm not quite ready yet. Thank you for being persistent, but I'm not quite ready yet. And maybe today is the day that we finally say, okay, God, I want to give in. Thank you for, for pursuing me. I want to follow you. I want to cross that line of faith. I want to put my, my hope in you. And maybe others of us, we're here, and we've made that decision. And maybe today, we've realized that we can actually be part of living out that agape love that God has displayed for us. That we can actually be part of taking that, 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 that pursuit that God has for every single one of us and being part of that. You see, what would it look like if we were a community of people that was committed to a lifestyle of love? 
Only you can answer that for yourself. What would it look like for you to day in and day out say, I'm going to live out the agape love that God has poured out for me in my job, in my school, in my family? What would it look like? See, listen, we can be a church that's growing, that's adding people to the seats, and that's awesome. We can be a church that has amazing worship, and, and we sing with passion, and that's awesome. We can be a church that sends out mission trips and, and, and takes the, the gospel and the love of Christ to other places, and that's awesome. We can be a church that plants churches and sends out other churches, and that's an amazing thing. But what does Paul say? You can do all those things, but if it's not accompanied, if it's not primarily driven by love, it's useless. And so my prayer for us is that we are a church that's known for our love that you are a man or a woman that's known for your heart and your lifestyle of love. And that as we display that, it will be attractive to the people in our lives. And I want to say, I want to be around people who are living out that God-centered love that they can't do on their own, but must come from God. And so that's my prayer, that we would be a church that's known by our love, that love would be a lifestyle, not just an emotion or a feeling, and that would lead us to action in the way that we live. So let's pray and then let's worship God. In all